of which we're all familiar, but we'll read it again. In my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you will be where I am. And with these words, Jesus explains why he has to leave them. And this is why. Jesus has to go so that he can prepare a place for all who would believe in him, not just the disciples. His departure is just not for the disciples' sake, but for our sake also. Jesus explains to the disciples that he is going to his father's house. This term simply is another way of saying he's going back to heaven. Now when you say, but surely he's going to make a heaven, just digressing a little bit, the, the Greek word for heaven is uranos, which is a plural word, because there's more than one heaven. There's probably three, and there may be more. That just So talking about heaven, it's an interesting exercise sometimes to ask people, what do they envisage heaven to be like? Some of the answers are given are laughable, some are fanciful, and others are quite tragic. I saw another story early this week talking about how people image heaven and how they get it so out of whack. And a young man, he was in his car, what was a Ford Mustang, over in Western Australia, and he's racing his Ford Mustang in his beloved car. Unfortunately, he didn't take a bend. The car crashed into the barriers, it burst into flame, and the young man lost his life. Only last week. And they interviewed his girlfriend after the event and they said, how are you coping with this? And she said, I can cope with it because I know that and I hope that in heaven there are many luxury cars and I just pray that there are some beautiful beaches and also some lovely sunsets. Now look, I'm not taking away from what the girl said under tragic circumstances, but can you see how ill-directed it is? If we want to find out what heaven is and what it's about and where it came from and who created it, go to the Bible. That's the source. All these other things that have floated around are not, not good. One of the problems confronting us when searching for the truth about heaven is that our thoughts and ideas have been contaminated, they've been spoiled and distorted by false images and stories passed on to us by a world who neither knows Christ or fears God. They pass the images on to us. I think I can say with some certainty that it's not about harps, it's not about wings and fluffy clouds, it's not about Peter standing at the pearly gate saying, welcome, come this way with a six-pack in his hand, say, come this way, all's welcome, all is welcome, in you go. This is the image that the world tries to sell us, but it's nowhere near the truth. So Jesus explains why he has to go to a place to prepare a place for the disciples. And it's actually to prepare a place for all believers, not just the disciples. When we talk about preparing a place, um, sometimes we have people around for dinner and my wife likes to get everything in order. Usually a week to two weeks before they actually get there, but that's all right. She likes things in order. So when she says, and I'll give you a, a rundown of what happens in a strong household, she might yell out, darling, I've asked some people around next week, to which I answer, oh, that'll be nice. 
And then I know, and mo most of the men, men here are nodding, because they know that we're going to get presented with the list. The list. They all do it. And I shake with trepidation when I imagine what could be on the list. So having been through down this path before, I say, okay, where's the list anyway? I say, I'm prepared to do most of the things you've written down, but I am not vacuuming the driveway again. <laughs> I mean, that is going beyond the pile. So I'm not doing that one. And she replies, well, at least you could say vacuum the garage out. And I say, love, sweetheart, pet. <laughs> Trying to settle it down a bit. Come, let us reason together. And I say, when the guests come to the front door, they're not going to say, hi, Jenny, hi, Warwick, do you mind if we look in your garage? <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. So I promised her that I would dine about the door shut so that they, no one can get in the garage. Anyway, she concedes and says, well, all right then. Well, there's some fingerprints on the glass in the dining room. I was hoping we could get rid of them. Once again, I plead my case. Darling, sweetie, come on, let's be reasonable here. The only way that the guests will see the fingerprints on the glass is if they bring their own stepladder. <laughs> they will not be seen. And we sort of finish the conversation with, well, just go and mow the lawns. I'll be happy with that. So that gets it out of the road. But just beware all the guys here of the dreaded list. They do it in the supermarket too. They send you off on some wild goose case and on there's some Madagascan bird seed or something and they expect you to go and find it. And it's, not, it's, not, never, been it's never been made. <laughs> there you go. So getting back to the real story. When Jesus said, I go now to prepare a place for you, and this is really important to understand this, when he said, I go now to prepare a place for you, he was talking about the cross. He was talking about going to the cross. The cross and the resurrection is an act of preparation. It's an act of preparation. If Jesus doesn't go to the cross, there will be no heaven, not for you or me. Without the cross and Christ's resurrection, there's no heaven for us to go to. So firstly, the penalty for sin had to be paid. The demands of a holy God had to be satisfied. Jesus must go to the cross and by doing so, he is preparing a place in the Father's house for all who believe in God and follow Jesus. That's for you and for me. So the disciples are finally comforted with the news. Jesus is preparing a place for his disciples in the Father's house. But in verse 3, there's a promise made and it's conditional. Usually if you see an if, you'll usually be followed by a then. Now the then's not here, but you can put it in parenthesis. And say, if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be also where I am. That is a conditional promise that's sown into that particular verse. If Jesus went to prepare a place, which he did by going to the cross, defeating death, rising from the dead and ascending to the Father, then he will come back and take his followers to be with him forever. And that's you and I and that's good news, good news for today. Three times in this particular passage, 
The Father's house is referred to as a place. And this place is heaven. And as I've said earlier in this sermon, unfortunately the images that we have in our minds of heaven is fairly ordinary to say the least. It's not about harps and fluffy cows and wings. It's not about the perfect golf course, although I, I have second thoughts on that one, but it's not about perfect golf courses and perfect golf swings. And it's not even about a credit card for the wife that has no limit. Heaven forbid what they do with that one, I don't know. So how do we describe heaven and where is it? How do we describe it and where is it? Heaven is where Jesus is. That's where heaven is, where Jesus is. Heaven is indescribable. We would not have the words to describe heaven. It's such a beautiful place. Heaven is a, is a place, it's prepared for God's people. No one gets to heaven by accident. It's a sad fact that many believers, many people know there is a heaven, but they will never enter it because to reject Jesus is to reject the only way in there. That is a sad fact that they know of a heaven, but they can't see the way to get in there, even though it's right in front of them. Jesus emphasises this fact in verse 6 where he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one will come to the Father except by me. Just digressing a little bit, that I am is the sixth I am and Paul McHenry dealt with these I ams a few months back. This is the sixth I am. So Jesus didn't say he would show us the way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'll show you the truth. He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I'll show you how to live your life. He said, I am the life. One commentator got it right when he wrote, the further we go down this road of life, the greater is the realisation that this is not our home. Heaven is. That's our home. So let's focus back just for a moment on the setting, on the upper room, on the disciples, and they certainly had good reason to be troubled. Number one, they had a traitor in their midst. Number two, their leader, after three and a half years, was leaving them. And what's more, he added, where he's going, they couldn't follow. Jesus saw on their faces that night fear and frustration, hurt and disappointment and bewilderment. Their, their whole life was caving in around them. But then Jesus comforts them with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is the good shepherd comforting the hearts of his troubled sheep. He tells them also his departure to the Father's house is with a view of preparing a place for them and then coming back to take them to be with him at the Father's house. So the disciples have had some of their burdens lifted, some of their immediate problems resolved. So the question is, how does this all relate to us today? What is flooding your troubled heart as you sit in this congregation today? I can confidently say that all of us here have troubled hearts to some degree or another. Some much more serious than others and some just a trifle that can be overcome. How can I confidently say this? Because Jesus says in John's Gospel, in this world you will have trouble. 
just a sentence like that very last verse of John's Gospel uh, 33 I think it is but anyway in this world you will have trouble everyone has troubles we all face problems we all face sufferings hardships some of the problems are small like you haven't got enough money to pay the grocery bill but some are much more serious when you go to the doctor and the prognosis on a member of your family is not good so we go from one spectrum to another some of them are small some of them are not so small but through all of this the message remains the same trust god trust also in me it is a trust thing of the many situations that arise causing our hearts to be troubled there is a common thread or a common denominator which seems to attach to each situation and that is the problem of worry and we all do it we all know what the scripture says let not your heart be troubled in the, in the other scripture be anxious for nothing but in all things we know the scriptures we know the scriptures but we choose often to ignore the advice it really is a personal thing worry worry there is not a single situation that comes to mind where worry has helped provide a positive situation the question is how much of our lives do we spend worrying about things that never actually happen they never actually happen there was a survey done of recent days 93% of things we worry about that said never happen and the fact is that most of the things we worry about we have no control over anyway we can't worry about the global economy we can't worry about interest rates we can sit there and worry all day but it's not going to change anything and it's something we all need to know so with worry not only is it a sin to worry because you're not relying or depending on the directions from god you're trying to do it your own way no matter what is confronting you both large or small the message or the words given to the disciples has not changed trust in god trust also in me we live in a broken world and, um, we live in a broken world where day by day obstacles appear from nowhere we shouldn't throw up our hands in disbelief to say where, where did that curveball come from i never knew that was coming i didn't see that one this is a daily occurrence of every day i'm not being pessimistic but every day can be beset with a new set of problems i try to teach my children that it's like the waves of the sea it's relentless problems are relentless living in this world because it's a broken world it's, it's it hasn't been fixed well jesus will fix it so he's asking us to trust him in all situations if there's one thing in the bible about which we are constantly reminded it's that our citizenship is in heaven we set our minds we should be setting our minds on the things above we should be setting our hearts on the things above and that's what jesus wants us to do when he tells us ahead of time that in the father's house he has already prepared a place for me and a place for you for all those who believe in him and in that place we will be secure with jesus for eternity well say thank god for that so how did jesus prepare a place for us he willingly went to the cross for us that's how he prepared the place 
the scriptures actually says where Jesus says, I go. In other words, he went voluntarily. The father knew the direction he wanted him to go to the cross. He wasn't forced to go. He said, I go. Voluntarily he went. And that's what Jesus wants us to do, to tell us ahead of time and in his father's house he has already prepared a place for you and me. How did Jesus prepare a place? Yes, he went to the cross for us. Jesus suffered physical and emotional pain beyond measure. He was also forsaken of the Father. Can you imagine the Father turned his back on him? Can you imagine the pain? But where his death brought sorrow, his resurrection brought joy. For it purchased for us as believers a place in heaven, a special place. It's a room prepared for us in the Father's house with a sign, reserved, where we will enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Sometimes, Lord, we try to work out the depth of your love, but it's too deep. Yet, according to the scriptures, you have paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross and being resurrected. And we have that promise that we can carry through the rest of this broken world and this broken life. But when the time comes, we will be with you face to face <coughs> because you have done what needed to be done. You have satisfied the wrath of God by dying on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that we would carry some of these things throughout our life and throughout the next week. In Jesus' name, amen.